This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Mediums actually change our messaging. They change how we communicate, what we communicate, who we are as people. The form of the medium actually is influencing us far more than we realize. Hi, I'm Carl. I'm a small church pastor. My podcast guest today is Doug Bursch. Doug has recently written a great book called Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. And today we're going to be talking about having a positive impact on social media. We're also going to be introducing our first ever book club featuring Doug's book. And don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and an answer to the question, can this work in a small church? So, Doug, you've written a book called Posting Peace, which is about our online behavior. Um, first of all, I've known you for a couple of years. We've actually we've met actually in person uh, at least once. I, I think it was just once, right at the conference in Camas, Washington, a few years ago. Was that where it was? Yes, I, I found out. We found out that we were both real people, not just yes. disembodied people <laughs> online or voices, but actually in the present. I met you at a, a, was it called a small church or uh, normal size church, church conference? conference. Yeah. 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 But, but in, in the meantime, in, in addition to some of the contacts we've had, I also follow you on Twitter and you, you do, you have a strong Twitter presence and by strong, I mean, you're good at it. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Here's, here's the thing. When anyone says they follow me on Twitter, I immediately want to apologize because I just put everything on Twitter. Like some people build up a brand and they have a certain way of communicating. For me, any thought that goes through my head, I'm going to tweet that. So I tweet a lot. And so I enjoy that a platform for that reason. I can just send anything there. Yeah. you. But you do have a as, as, as you know, you're, you're, you're being self-deprecating now, which I always appreciate in anybody who does that because there's way too many people who don't even understand the value of self-deprecation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm really good at self-deprecation. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm one of the most oh, humble people I know. So yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You, you, you and Moses apparently. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love that line in the Bible, right? When, hey, he wrote this about him being the most humble. What is that about? But uh, we digress. Well, and, well, to digress even further, maybe, maybe my favorite joke of all time was Steve Martin back in the seventies when he was Steve Martin. Uh, and he said, my goal in life is to find the world's most humble person and get him to admit it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. just a nice little twist. Yeah. No, I appreciate you thing. saying with social media that I, I do, I enjoy using it and I believe in being unfiltered and about as honest and authentic as I can be. So I want it to reflect me as best as it can, including my passions, my ministry focuses. And I'm not just one person. I'm not just one direction. So in that sense, it expresses all those things. Which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today, because there is this perception out there that if you're going to be, well, I'm just being me, I'm just being honest, I'm just being myself, as though it's an excuse to be rude or cruel or to punch down. And you are that, you are you are genuinely yourself online, but there's no meanness to it. I mean, you can have a joke occasionally, but you can tell it's sarcastic and the person, you know, you know, punches back and they have a little bit of fun, a little bit of fun. So there's, there's, you are coming through, but, but what it shows is that you are a person of character, which of course is, is part of what, it, one of the reasons I love the book so much, because I read a book about behaving better online by a person that I watch online and that I would go, yeah, you actually can be genuine, you can be real, you can be authentic, and not be a jerk. 
Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you uh, for saying those things. I want you just to keep talking about me and I'll feel better by the end here. <laughs> uh, but uh, I wrote posting piece, why social media divides us and what we can do about it. Um, I got to mention that at least eight times yeah. during this interview. But uh, I, I see, well, you see this with people, like, I'll just tell you with books, and you know this a little bit, you've written a few books, is I think sometimes people overcompensate for what they're lacking by writing a book to try to convince people otherwise. So I think what you're getting at, they actually, you know, uh, pastors can, you know, they, they say he's misogynistic. So the next book he writes about uh, how to have healthy relationships with women, like there's literally sometimes this overcompensating. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to present a struggle I've had being online, uh, especially also working as a radio host and other capacities that I try to have a reconciling presence online and it's really difficult. And in fact, I found myself struggling where I'm like, why is this so hard? Why are we becoming so divisive? Why is it so polarizing? Because we all know this. Even if you're attempting to be loving to someone and kind to someone, it's taken in the wrong way where suddenly someone's accusing you of being a baby killer when you just, you're talking about your love of tacos or something. And you're, and you're like, how, how, did, how did this happen? Like, how did we get here? So part of my journey was, okay, I like online communication. I desire to be reconciling and to be a peacemaker, but to speak the truth. So what is the technology doing that is causing us to be so polarized and divided? And, and I'm sure you found this to be the case as well. Anyone listening is we're all kind of having that dialogue, aren't we? Like what happened? Why is this getting worse? And I don't, I don't want to just lament it like, oh, well, everything's falling apart. I actually want to do something positive if I can change that trend. So I'm going to come back at you with that question then. What is the technology doing that is making us behave this way? Yeah, well, you know, this is one of the things I think sometimes Christians and Christian pastors can be a little naive in this sense that we, we've we said this with the gospel. You know, the message never changes, just the ways we communicate it and where we communicate it changes. So, it, you know, in the old days, it's, uh, so let's get preaching on the radio or on television, and we'll just say the same message uh, to a new audience. But we haven't taken seriously how uh, mediums or how media changes the messaging, how we communicate and what we communicate. And there's a, a, a scholar, he was really popular in um, like the mid 70s, Marshall McLuhan. And he said something very provocative that the medium is the message. And what he meant by that is that mediums actually change our messaging. They change how we communicate, what we communicate, who we are as people. The form of the medium actually in, is influencing us far more than we realize. And that is true with internet communication. It is changing the way we connect to each other, what we talk about, the way we talk about those things. So I went kind of a deep dive, trying to make it you know, relevant and not you know, really caught in just a bunch of technological jargon. But I do think as Christians and pastors particularly, we need to understand how this technology will start moving us in directions where we're only talking about certain things. And we've all seen that. We've seen people where they're different online. We meet them in person, but online we're getting a different conception. And, and frankly, I know pastors where I'd say, if I just met them online, I wouldn't be their friend. Yeah. Oh, but in person, sure. I'm their friend because I know them. I know the full person. But online, I'm only seeing a part of them. And the part of them I'm seeing, I don't want to hang out with. And everyone listening, I think, can think of someone like that. And that's a sign that this technology is changing us. Interesting. Because as you're saying that, it, it, taking it a, a slight step further, I've known people like for years, and then I watch them get online and I go, who is this person? Yeah. But I, because I do know them in person, I kind of give them a, not a pass, but it's like, I'm not going to unfriend them because I do know who they are in person. But then if you reverse that and you go, but most of the people that you're going to meet now, you're going to meet online first. Most of the people who will know you, especially as a pastor, especially if you're representing the church or a ministry, they're going to know you online first. So you don't get the benefit of the doubt of, oh, I know they're actually a good person, but they just happen to be upset about this issue at this time. And so they're talking in extreme language. No, all they know is that extreme. And so they're not going to, not only are they not going to take the time to get to know you, they are either going to ignore you completely or push back against it uh, because they don't know you. So the face we put online is far more important than I think some of us are taking into account 
if we're if we're trying, especially if we're trying to get the message of the gospel out to people. Yeah, and I, I th one of the things that the internet does is it segments us, and so we're in these segmented communities, and we're learning to think in segmented ways. So that the moment someone presents an idea or an ideology, we immediately put them into a camp, and that's what we need to recognize that no one sees you when you present yourself online. A stranger doesn't see you as you are. They already see you within a category, within a segment, with what they believe a pastor is. And now this is true in person as well, but it's become exaggerated. The in-person things, for instance, you know, when someone walks into your church, if they've had a bad relationship with a former pastor, been hurt, abused, harmed, uh, they still see you at some level like that pastor. You have to at some level reveal that you're different. They don't see you in a neutral way. It takes time to build trust, to build relational equity, right? And I think we know that in person because we can see the hurt in someone's eyes. We can see the reticence and how they talk. We can, there's cues that we can get and we have a way to have a dialogue to kind of know, oh, this is what I need to do. I need to just love this person, welcome them, say, relax, you can visit, don't worry about if you stay here long-term or whatever, we're a safe place. We do that sort of stuff. But online, instead, we're just, I need to share what's right and what's true and what I believe. And so we have no relational equity with the person. They may already have an idea of what pastors are or what the church is, and they're not going to hear us until they know that we love them or even that we respect them or even if they know our intentions. My intention is to be reconciling, which means to tear down any dividing wall of hostility between them and God so that they understand that God loves them, is pursuing them, is seeking them, is for them. Even if he's there to correct them, the goal is God has a genuine love to bring them life and light. So my goal is to remove any dividing wall of hostility that is keeping them from that relationship and to remove any dividing wall of hostility between us, where they think that my goal in life is to do anything but to give them the love of Jesus and for us to be able to grow in a genuine love of each other in the sense of a love of humanity, fellow people made in the image of God. That takes some effort. That it's takes that my first response. Right. It's not, it's not to win the argument. I, I mean, I, I use this. You can interrupt me anytime. You know, as a pastor, I'll just talk endlessly here. Yeah, no, I'm fine. But and I will. <laughs> you will, right. We, that's the other danger is two pastors on a podcast. It could last eight hours <laughs> because pastors get caught in these loops and they never stop yeah. talking. They go, that reminds me of one more thing. But I tell an illustration in the book of, I remember as a sophomore, I, it was my first year in college. I'm arguing with someone about, I don't know what the issue was, but I'm just arguing on a college campus in person. And I'm winning the argument. It's one of those, you know, I've taken one class and I think I know all the answers. And I'm just... I'm arguing from a Christian perspective and they're not a Christian and I'm anticipating what they're going to say and I'm just winning the argument. And this, this woman I'm arguing with, I am just winning. And then in my pride and in my boy, this is going well, I look over and I see that she's crying. And I suddenly realize that I'm winning nothing. I'm, I'm a fool. The goal isn't to win the argument about this Christian principle I had. The goal is for her to find Christ, or at least the goal would be that she'd know I love her, respect her, and want to do whatever would help her in the next st stage of her life to be able to grow you know, in the goodness of God. That reality we're seeing in so many social media interactions that we're first and foremost defending our ideologies, our rightness, our truth. And when we need to first, if our goal is to be reconciling, is to know the person, to create a safe environment where they're loved, respected, and listened to. See, that to me outlines so perfectly um, what is missing online. You, 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 you put out a post, you argue with somebody, and you don't see them cry on the other end. Yeah. And, yeah. and then maybe they get over their tears, and then they come back at you with an angry thing through their tears, because that's the nature of the thing that's happening. And you just think there's this person raging on the other side or whatever. Maybe that's part of it, but you don't get to see through to the actual person, through to the tears, through to the hurt that brought that about. Mm. And it, you, 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 we are literally disembodying each other yeah. in our arguments. And God made us with bodies. And those bodies are a big part of how we communicate through tears, through smiles, through subtle little uh, subconscious things that we that we couldn't even put a conscious uh, finger on. Like when you're in the room with somebody, you can read, especially if you know them, you can read uh, their subconscious behavior in a way to go, something's wrong. I can't even tell you why I know something's wrong, but yeah. something's wrong with you today. But online, all of those subtleties are stripped back. It only becomes about 
the most obvious emotion and the most obvious part of the content that I put out. And the actual reality behind it is just buried in this technological haze. Yeah, you know, that's so well said. Uh, the reality of the, there's, I talk about a lot of different ways where social media just limits the parts of our humanity we use. For instance, studies have shown that we develop empathy through just looking at people's faces, uh, seeing that when I say something and they grow sad, uh, even as a little kid, you realize, oh, something I just did influenced someone in a negative way. We see those cues. Online, you don't see those cues. Another thing that we don't often talk about is when people argue online, we often begin to write a lot of stuff. You, you've all seen the Facebook page that when two people are arguing, it gets longer and longer, all the stuff they're writing, these long treatises, these chapters of theology, right? And it gets longer and longer. Well, the problem is when it comes to written language, uh, we're not using our full brain. We're using parts of our brain. Uh, and this is a little bit of a simplistic idea, but in some ways um, you, you're just using one side of your brain that is more, it might be good about argumentation and logic and linear thinking, but it's not necessarily the part of your brain that has big picture thinking that has emotional connection, that has problem solving. <clears throat> so we're actually cutting ourselves off from the full use of our brain. And we're cutting ourselves off from the ability to, to make connections. I'll, I'll tell you even an example of this. I was uh, texting back and forth to someone in our church and I realized there was a conflict that they were just feeling like we were displeased with them or unhappy with them. And there's no font that tells people that you're okay with them. We don't have fonts that tell people our emotions. Right. And so finally, I went to my wife and I said, come here, honey. And we just took a picture of both of us smiling. And then we sent that picture to them with something like, we love you. And I just wanted them to know in that moment, this is where we're at. We're not growling. We're not frowning. We're happy and we're smiling. And then they sent back a picture of them smiling. Uh, what is that? That's activating a different part of the brain, yeah. an emotional when we see pictures, different parts of our brain fire. So that's just a practical thing that if we're just, some of us get in these habits and we're just arguing and we're writing things out and, and people can't get all those other cues and we're only activating a certain part of their brain and we're actually keeping them and keeping ourselves from being able to work on those other areas that help us reconcile, walk through a conflict, understand the yeah. bigger picture. I mean, th there's a reason why great literature is both so rare and so wonderful when it occurs, uh, because it is exquisitely hard to communicate deep, thoughtful mm. ideas and concepts and emotions simply through text. But the bottom line is I've written books, you've written books, but neither one of us is in the Bronte family. Right. Right. <laughs> so, and, and certainly those of us who are online angry on Twitter or Facebook, uh, we are not writing high literature that is touching people in, in their depths of emotions. We're just, we're, like you say, we're just activating even just one simplistic part of the brain. However, you have written a great book and let's actually get to that. Posting well, you know, okay, I, this devices. is in the book. You just brought up something that I <laughs> okay. think uh, there's a technological theorist. And I, I can't just, remember. I want to, I want to interrupt you right now, just to point out that you interrupted me reading the title of your book. So no, just go ahead and continue to do that. But you that mean was, the book posting peace, that book? Yes. That book posting peace. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting you saying posting piece. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious that the author interrupted me reading the title of his book. I know. That shows, that shows you where your head is. You just got something you want to say. But I, I don't interrupted really, it. Yeah. So if you can get back to it, I, God bless you if you can. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. <laughs> By the way, I'm sorry I interrupted you saying that the book is posting piece, why social media divides us and what we can do about it. But you brought up something that no one's brought up in any of the interviews I've had is you talked about even good literature. Reading a book, there's, you get into a book and then eventually you get into what scholars call this literature space. And it takes a while to get there. And once you're there, you're in this world. And what's happening with our reading online is we never get into that literature space because we're just seeing little bits of things. Mm -hmm. We're just scrolling through little things. That's a different part of the mind. And so even that aspect where written text can have tremendous power but there has to be this place where your body, your mind is in that space. We don't have time for that. We're just reading a little snippet here, a little thing here. You know, even with blogs, like people will only read one that's so long, right? We just move right. on. 
And that's another profound problem. We're talking about the deep things of God, but trying to tweet them and post them in these little snippets that really don't activate the deep emotional life of an individual. So there again is another struggle of this technology that we have to fight against. Because if we don't, we'll never reach that deep place of contemplation, of introspection, that, you know, the best books and novels, these books were the first hundred pages, like, oh, I don't know. And then you just get into it. Yeah. And then you're in that world. And then it changes your heart, your mind, your perspective. It takes over your being. Do we have that ability to communicate the truth of the gospel in a quick Facebook post or, you know, a quick Insta? You know, is that even possible? Right. Yeah. Reading great literature, it's kind of like what they tell me the runner's high, which I've never experienced because I can't stand to run. But you get through this wall and then you get into this place where it really does affect your body and your mind in a very, very different way. And I have experienced that with great literature, of course. But you're right. It doesn't you don't even you don't even you're not running long enough in these short snippets online to get into that zone. So it is yeah. a real different experience. Yeah, I feel judged by that running high because I, I don't run as well. Uh, when I run with my wife, I look like uh, she's the trainer and I'm the elephant running behind her and she's just making me move and lumber. People are like that poor man, you know, he must be in trouble. So uh, yeah, I, I talked to her. She comes in and wakes me up after she's done the run and says, what a great day it is. And I kind of just go, oh, okay, great. <laughs> okay. And now a 20 second break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Secondly, Consider becoming a Patreon partner. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of ministries that need it the most. Our Patreon link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Let's move from that to the book you wrote, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Excellent. Uh, Thank you for letting me get it out with interrupting (laughs) me. (laughs) <laughs> so where'd the book come from and give me a quick overview of it because i i mean i know what you actually sent me an early copy of it back before it was actually in print and i ha- I, I i have a lot of people who send me books sometimes i endorse them sometimes i don't sometimes i don't have time to read them i not just i didn't just have time to read yours but by third chapter i went this isn't just a book i'm going to endorse this is a book club book so we're going to start a book club in June. If you're listening to this before June 2021, you can get in on that. We'll talk about it before this ends. But tell us a little bit about your book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides. Yeah. Uh, Where did it come from? By the way, I talked over the title again. Uh, Where did it come from? Uh, I I was confronted with a burning bush and and God (laughs) handed it into my lap and said, said, (laughs) write down this message I've given you. Uh, it's interesting. I did some doctoral work on technology and actually specialized in this area with the concept of reconciliation. And I actually had a, uh, I thought I knew the answer, but I didn't. I thought, well, we just need to start communicating online in a better way. But I didn't realize how much the technology is changing us. So to me, it came from that desire uh, to advocate for better dialogues. Uh, you know, I was in Christian radio for five years and I tried to facilitate a show that made room for Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Green Party and just tried to find a way for Christians to gather together and have a better dialogue. And it didn't mean like we had to agree on everything or it's this middle ground, you know, nothingness, but that we should be able to communicate as Christians in a way where we're trying to bring people into the light and the life of Jesus Christ, uh, specifically in the context of the difference between being uh, partisan versus political. You know, we're all political. As, as Americans, you're supposed to be political, uh, have an opinion, be an informed citizen when you vote. I don't enjoy uninformed citizens voting. Uh, but partisan is different in the sense of, you know, you can have a party, but partisan 
is kind of, we want our side to win, your side to lose. We're great, you're idiots. Uh, this is our country, not yours. Partisan becomes very divisive and it's not about actually bringing people into the light. A Christian who's political, the goal of communicating your politics is that you love the people around you. And if you believe you have a strong political conviction that is based on the truth of God, you're communicating to others because you love them and care about them and you want them to find the same truth that has set you free. What we're finding is Christians are not differentiating between those two realities. And they're engaging in activity uh, of non-Christians who the goal is I just need to get 50.5% of the vote and get my candidate in there and get a, get a majority and we win and you lose. And we see this on all sides of the political spectrum. But Christians, I believe, are supposed to communicate in a different way. Whenever I communicate anything, the most controversial thing, the most passionate thing, my goal is still to bring people into the light because I love them. And uh, the Bible says pretty clearly we're supposed to love our enemies. So it doesn't matter how different that person is from me. I must ask myself, am I truly communicating a reconciling gospel, a peacemaking gospel? And so that's the motivation of the book. One, a theology of reconciliation and peacemaking, what Christ calls us to do. How do we bring that online? And how does the online world work against these things, even though we want to do it? We find ourselves swept away into arguments and into existing in a way online that we don't do in person. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's the genesis of it. Yeah, no, and and it, it very much communicates that very well, and in in a in an easy read and in a very entertaining manner as well. I might add. Hmm. Uh, but here's a question: If I am behaving myself online, why would I bother reading a book about how to behave myself online better? Well, uh, I don't think you can convince anyone that they have a problem if they don't think they have a problem. <laughs> As a pastor, you know that. We've all thought, yeah, if I just preach point. a stronger message, they'll certainly change. And sadly, I think there's some pastors listening right now who'd be like, oh, I don't have a problem with that. And you're the problem. Like you have a, you don't, it's the fatal flaw. Uh, everybody has this fatal flaw that everyone else knows about you, but you don't know yourself. And sadly, I find that with pastors as well. And don't worry, I got one as well that I'm not aware of. But I, I think uh, every one of us needs to know, one, why other people are so divisive. Like, even if you're not online much, you need to know why your congregation is acting a certain way. This online uh, reality is now coming into our in-person communication. So you need to be aware of what's happening. And what I found a lot of people reading this book, they've said they were reading it more to think about other people. And then as they read it, it more became about their own life. This isn't to condemn someone or say you're a terrible person. For me, I believe when you grow in Christ, you grow in humility. Because I'm in the center of God's grace, I can look at the weaknesses, failings, faults of my life from a place of grace. So my goal is to grow in this. So as I grew in my studies, I'm assuming you'll grow as you read through this as well. You might not come to the same conclusions, but you'll definitely grow because we have to say, Am I actually, what I think I'm doing, is it actually happening? Am I actually facilitating reconciling environments where people can come to the Lord? You've seen this with pastors, right? Remember, young pastors do this. Young pastors sometimes think preaching with a lot of passion and strong words will change lives. And they say things with a lot of authority and they're, you know, from the pulpit, they're saying these really, and everybody goes, amen, and they're saying things really strong. But as you get older, you realize, you know, I did those things, but did people change? Right. Or was I just kind of saying strong things and quote unquote preaching to the choir? Yeah, uh, you stop worrying about that, right? You start yeah. communicating in a more way of it's not about how strong it's or is change occurring, and I want people to deal with that. Yeah, and 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 online skews that because uh, well, you, you you mentioned Marshall McLuhan's line earlier: the medium is the message, and that's really true online because every online platform, especially the major ones, are built on these really sophisticated algorithms that treat us by the category that they or multiple or a multiple group of categories so that they can sell us stuff yeah and so they are literally treating us as members of a category and not as individual human beings and that then changes the way we communicate with others to communicate with others who are people who are members of a category rather than as individual human beings and the whole thing uh, accelerates and amplifies this whole idea of the dehumanization of others and it rewards the extremes because the extremes then 
push us even further through the algorithm into a tight category. And then the people who are in that category with us, they laud us for what we're doing. And we think I'm really getting through. Yeah. No, you're just yelling in a room of people who already agree with you and are applauding you. You're not actually changing anybody in the other room. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's a great point. And, you know, there used to be this idea, we need to get the church outside the walls of the church, right? Everybody said that we got to get outside the walls. Well, the internet allows you to get outside the walls. And what are we doing? We're creating these segmented communities of like minded people and creating walls around us where we just hang around with people with the same ideology. And I use a term uh, that uh, these two scholars, uh, Rainey and Wellman, use that people are using the internet primarily for networked individualism, which means I use it to get my individualistic needs met. So I need to find people who agree with my politics because it feels good to have people agree with me. And that's using an individualistic need and then networking with people in order to get that individualistic need met. And we're doing this in all kinds of segmentation. They like my politics, they like my music, they like my way of viewing the world, they like my understanding of race and justice, whatever it is. And then we find ourselves walled off in these homogenous ideological segmented communities, just like we're some church that no one visits. That's not my goal. Right. My goal is, especially if I believe, even if you believe all those things are true and everybody in your walled off group are you know, doing it right, that's not what we're called to do as Christians. Like, yeah. I don't want to be the Christian who goes to my Christian church, listens to my Christian radio, hangs out with my Christian friends until Christ returns. I, I, that's not what I'm called to do. And I don't want to be that online. So online, we have to work against that segmentation, invite people who are different from diversity, ethnicity, uh, gender, economics, uh, even American, you know, the strength of the internet is you can meet people all over the world and expand because your goal is to be able to one, if there's any truth in this culture, in this world where Christ is speaking, I want to know about that. And also, if I have anything to offer people who are in darkness, I want them to be able to hear that message. And they're not going to hear it if I have no relationship with them. And we all know this. To have relationship means you have to go through a conflict. And so that means our first conflicts, the goal is to let someone know that we love them, not just to be right. It's to be reconciling, not just to be right. And we often don't wait for the second interaction. We're so concerned about the first interaction. But in in-person relationship, you know this to be the case. When you first meet someone, you first build the relational equity before you have the big fight about things. But online, we don't do that first step. It's just immediate gratification. I need you to know I'm right and you're wrong. I need to be protected from people like you. It's just solely about that personal feeling good, you know, what, whatever that issue is. And that takes effort to be able to go through where some... Like, here's an example. People, when they troll you, I talk about this in the book. Some people will just say terrible things to you, their first interaction. Now, you can fight with them or block and mute them the first time. But what I found is there's kind of two different people. Some people, if you respond back in a gracious, kind ways, they they stop it. They, they pull back and they realize, oh, I'm sorry, I'm dehumanizing. I was just hurt by another pastor and I was taking this out on you. You find a human. You find a human who's angry, who's taking it out on you. And then you can have an interaction. Now, other people, they double down and they treat you even worse. And you know, this guy is just trying to hurt people and I need to find a way to keep him from sinning against me anymore. I'll block him, mute him, you know, not give a lot of time to that person. That takes effort though, to differentiate between those two people. And some of us aren't taking that time. We're treating everyone the same. But if you're going to minister to someone, the person who's most angry with you could also be the most close to repenting to turning from darkness to the light, to opening themselves up to a new understanding of the kingdom of God. Are we giving people that opportunity in how we respond? But Doug, this sounds like actual work and hard yes. effort. <laughs> yeah. And I just go online to yell and scream and have fun watching stupid cat videos. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, and I don't want anyone to feel judged for people's well-being. Some people have to create boundaries where they can only take so much. They got enough garbage going on in their marriage and their kids and their family that they don't need a stranger giving them misery. So this is going to be applied very differently based on your calling, based yeah. on your spiritual giftings, based on your mental health. You know, yeah. if, if I can say all the right things, but if I'm going to fall apart with another person trolling me, I got to find a way not to be online as much. But I think all of us could prayerfully say, is there something more I can do within my calling? 
And it is work. Love is work. Love is difficult. (laughs) Yeah. And and for people who are like, I do just go online for the entertainment. Fine. Then just do the entertainment. Don't say I'm online to, you know, see my friend's pictures and to watch a couple dumb videos and then scream about politics and go, but I'm just here for entertainment. No, yeah. it, it, you, you got to make it if, if that's what you're doing fine there there's there's I watch television just for entertainment. Uh, you can go online just for entertainment. But the moment you choose to actually engage with people on any kind of a topic that matters, then you've got to say, wait a minute, now I'm actually in a room in conversation with people talking about heavy subjects, and I, it deserves the kind of thought uh, the kind of Christian loving thought that you would give in a room filled with actual flesh and blood people. Yeah, and here's an example for Facebook. Uh, Facebook's different than Twitter. Facebook is highly relationally complex because most people on Facebook, you connect with them because you already had a relationship with them. They were family, friends, uh, on the same soccer team as parents. And so you only know them in a certain capacity. And then you go online, you friend them online, and you find this whole other reality about them that you didn't realize. You find out you, your aunt or uncle's politics, and then it becomes messy. Because if you unfriend your aunt or your uncle, well, you're unfriending your aunt or your uncle. At the same level, you don't want to hear all the stuff that they're posting. So it really puts into jeopardy our in-person relationships. This is the question I'd have. Some people might say, well, I'm not big on doing this big ministry online. Well, do you want to have a relationship with your kids and your grandkids? It's like a yes or no. Do you think a better chance of them finding the light and love of Jesus Christ is with you in the room with them or not? And if that's the case, then it matters what you communicate online. And if your goal is, you know, it's more important that I have to communicate my politics and why I don't like this person or why I like this person or what's wrong with this, But if you're doing that at the cost of having relationship with your son or your daughter or your grandkids, is it worth it? Uh, Because are you changing the world by just defending what you believe? Or is that just kind of your insecurity and you want people to know what you believe? That's what I mean by being reconciling. Am I facilitating an environment where my kids, my grandkids, my cousins, nephews, aunts, uncles feel loved and accepted? Or even when I disagree with them, they still feel like I'm honoring their humanity, you know, but we've all had experiences where we have uncles blocking us just because we have a different political opinion than them. So that's where it does matter. We all at some level have to engage this ministry. And that's often where we stop and we pause and we say, what's the real issue here? Is the issue arguing with my nephew about immigration or is the issue that we need to connect again on that I love him and I care about him? And even if I disagree, I respect him. Is that coming through in our arguments online? And I think a lot of us, if we were honest, we'd say it really isn't. So maybe we need to say less there and more in person or more in private, direct messaging, telling someone how you love them, respecting them, not just arguing with them in the public sphere. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about your book, Posting Peace, uh, is that you you don't just make these arguments, but you end every chapter with a, uh, with a challenge, the posting, is it called the posting peace challenge, right? Yeah, I think I so. Right. Yeah. The posting peace challenge. You think so? You're supposed to know. I'm the one who's not supposed to know. It's your book. Come on. You I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm dyslexic and I, gotcha. I remember ideas and concepts, but the names of those ideas and concepts change over time. So it's yeah. the posting peace challenge. Yeah. Right? Yes. I just confirmed yes. that. I just but is it two people, me. two or more agree? It is. <laughs> know, we bind on earth yeah. is except in heaven. So, yeah. It's so supposed you, to be these challenges. So each chapter outlines, and it goes through in a wonderful logical progression, starting with these kind of philosophical things we've been talking about, and then getting into more, more and more practical things. And at the end of each chapter, so how do I do this better online? And you actually give the posting piece challenge where you encourage people now go online and do this, leave the hashtag posting piece. And as I went through it, that was why I thought, hey, this would be great for a book club because one, this is a great conversation for people to have. Two, it gives practical steps that you can take to actually not just elevate your, uh, the way you uh, do things online, but actually elevates the online conversation within the sphere of influence that you have by doing these exercises. So it's not a matter of it sounds good, but how do I actually do that? You actually show us how to do it in very simple steps with the challenge at the end yeah. of every chapter. 
Well, I'm glad you brought this up and I'm noticing something. One, it's also an issue of application that if I try to tell you how to apply something, I don't know your relational context, but all the challenges allow you to apply it within your own context. So, and I've noticed that I've had many people read the book, but they're not doing these challenges online. And I think one of the reasons is, is that's different to actually online put out there that you're trying to communicate better. It's kind of like the alcoholic who has to make a decision that they're not going to drink anymore. Like there's a risk to that. And that's why I'd really encourage people to be a part of this book group because it's, it's a way of just saying by faith, I'm going to try to facilitate a better dialogue. And if this is what's going on in my life. So, you know, the posting peace challenges can be one of them is, is go through all your online communication over the last, it could be two weeks or two months and just put it into categories. Uh, is it mostly political? Is it mostly, you know, religion? What is it? What would people think about you just in that context? And just to assess those things. And for some of them, I say, now respond online, tell people what you've learned, tell them, uh, the, tell them the areas where you haven't been that reconciling, tell of weaknesses, tell of testimonies, and yeah. just encouraging people to do that. The cool thing about that is it's with the posting piece hashtag. So then you can see other people doing that in other places. So you can click on the posting piece hashtag and see other people like you who are trying to facilitate a better dialogue online. I think that is to me, one of the things I really like about the book is you could argue with me like, well, I don't like how you're doing that. I could say, fine, I'm doing it terribly. What is God calling you to do? Yeah. And then I put it in your camp and then you and the Lord led by the Holy Spirit decide, how can I be more reconciling? How can I be a peacemaker? How can I advance the kingdom of God. And I'm really excited about what that's going to do in people's social media presence. Yeah. So we are recording this in May of 2021. The book club starts June 3rd. It's a Thursday evening, 2021. We will be having a, an online conversation every Thursday in June, June 3rd, 10th, 17th, and 24th, 5 p.m. Uh, in Pacific time, which is where I am, 8 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're in a different time zone, you can you can Google it to figure out which one that means for you. Uh, you're going to be joining us for at least some of those, hopefully, hopefully several, maybe even all of those. Uh, on yeah, until you kick me off, I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll show up as much as you want. You so know, you for pastors of normal sized churches, as I like to call it, or smaller mm -hmm. churches, um, social media is a real equalizer for us. Yeah. And I think that alone is a good reason to really engage in this. You know, what you find of pastors of larger churches is they often use it as just another place to present their message. It's yeah. kind of like celebrities. I'm not trying to say it in a negative way. Celebrities, will have, they follow very few people, like 30 people and thousand people, million people follow them. And then they just present their ideas and their content. Well, larger churches tend to see social media like that. So they'll just present their sermon, they'll present their message, and you can respond to it or not. If you have a small church, you don't have that many followers. And so you can't just present something. No one might even read it. So your goal is to facilitate conversations. So it's to ask questions. It's to get people interested in things like, what's your thoughts on this? And then just to respect them with their thoughts and the diversity of thoughts, you'll develop your community through that. So pastors, if we can learn how to use this technology, especially pastors in normal sized churches, we can begin to facilitate all these healthy conversations that contrasts what people often think the church is, is just a pastor telling you what to do all the time. We can learn to facilitate communities, uh, bring up divergent or different opinions, share our own opinion in a way of respecting others. So we're able to model all these things that people might not think the church is about. And the first experience of the church is a very healthy thing online so that they're willing then to maybe step through some doors or into our home and yeah. experience the church in well, person. Well, thanks for that, because it, it, it addresses, of course, the title of this podcast, which is Can This Work in a Small Church? And a, a lot of the time when we were looking at social media, the instructions we're getting on how to do social media better have to do with technical things or things that are going to cost us money and getting a better camera or a better microphone or whatever. But in fact, the place where we are both getting the most benefit and where we are harming ourselves the most online is not about how well we frame the shot. It's about the attitude. It's about the manner in which we're communicating the words. Like your Twitter feed, for instance, it doesn't require any technical ability. It's just text, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or and or the occasional picture, like you mentioned. But it's it's so it's really not about how technically brilliant you are online. That's not what's hurting us or helping us. It's about what's your attitude and how can that be adjusted in a way that is more Christ-like and more reconciling. Which, of course, is what the book 
really leads into. So that's, yeah. one, again, another reason why I'm starting. It, it's my first book club choice for a group uh, of for small church pastors, but it's not small church pastor specific. It's for everybody. And part of the reason is because it can be done by everybody, individual people in families. If you're a pastor and you're thinking, hey, I got people in my church that could use this, go ahead and promote it to your entire congregation. They're, they're welcome. They're allowed. This is not pastor-centric. It, it is really about Christians being reconcilers online by changing our attitude and not by upping our technical game. Well, and I, I love that. Uh, by the way, you know, Oprah said she wanted it to be her book of the month. And I said, no, I'm going to be on Carl's podcast instead. This is more important. Uh, yeah, but I, I hope people know time. that that's not true. Oprah did not contact me, but she can. But uh, here's the thing. <laughs> a lot of pastors are troubled by the expression they see of their congre their congregants. Mm -hmm. And they see people interacting online in terrible ways, but they don't know how to interact with it. And they don't want to look like they're spying on people. This is a great way to facilitate in your church a healthy way to talk about it. It's just because we're also seeing that. It troubles us as pastors to see people who are being very different online than they are in person. So I was hoping it would facilitate those discussions where, hey, I'm going through this. You want to go through this with me kind of thing. Yeah. And then instead of you being the pastor, I come along as the evangelist who says the difficult things through the book. And you can just go, hey, what do you think about what Doug said there? there Every are. pastor needs someone else to say the hard stuff so that they can come alongside and pastor and, and join with that. So that's the other goal. The pastor's heart in me is to give a resource to pastors where they don't have to do some of the difficult work but they can use that to help with passions they have. Many people listening, that's your passion as well. You care about these things. And I wanted to partner with you in your passions. Yeah, yeah, this is really important. So let me walk some, through some of the technicals. If you want to be a part of the Posting Peace uh, book club in June of 2021, we will be meeting every Thursday, but it's got 12 chapters. So we're going to do three chapters a week. We'll be talking about them each week. We'll be going through the challenges together. If you want to be a part of it, what you need to do is go to carlvaders.com and subscribe there. Because part of the reason is so that we can make sure that we're not just having trollers come in. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get your email address. You'll then be subscribed to our weekly newsletter, which will give you updates as we approach it and as we go through it. And then from there, you're going to go to the Facebook page. We've created a Facebook page, carlvaders.com book club, colon, posting piece. And all of those uh, will be in the show notes. So you can find the links there. So you subscribe to carlvaders.com, you sign up at the Facebook page, and then through the Facebook pages where we'll be going for conversations and we'll be bringing you updates and you can talk to the people that you meet in the book club and so on. Uh, we just hope to facilitate really healthy conversations ar around this idea and using the book is a great jumping off point for that. And from there, you can also get the information about how to get a discount on the yeah. book through your publisher, uh, IVP, who's been very, very helpful in giving us the tools we need to make sure this book club is a, a raging success. <laughs> Which, uh, you so know, far, Carl, I appreciate that. that. I'm excited. By the way, you did that really well. That's a lot of information to get out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, and you, I, this is what I love about you you have a gifting of you can speak to a group without tearing other groups down. Um, you've often spoken to pastors who pastor smaller churches, and sometimes pastors of smaller churches, we get disgruntled and bitter and jealous, and we have to tear down other expressions to make room for our own. And that has never been what you do. You, you just say, let's just acknowledge the reality of the church and find the best way to resource the church in, what, in whatever state it is in. And I've appreciated that greatly. I've tried to model some of the things I do based on how you lead and minister, because I know sometimes I can say a strong thing, and I realize, Doug, you've just torn down pastors of larger churches who dearly love the Lord, and why did you have to tear them down to make room for this other expression? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I'm excited about doing this, because it will help pastors of any size churches, but that's the heart. I know having you there and me there, our heart is to encourage each person. What is God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? How can we resource you as you move forward in the Lord? Great. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Appreciate it. Hey, let's finish this thing up by going to the lightning round questions. We ask every guest these lightning round questions. So what do I win do. for lightning round? Uh, do I win? You, you, you win my respect. And, oh, okay. Uh, all but, right. but apparently from what you just said, I already have it. So you're. So I'm just going to lose it if I do you, this I have wrong. yours, you have mine. So yeah, you're just... You're, this is more, this is more risk. Uh, this is more likely to provide a risk than a reward. Right. For you, just so I can only ruin our relationship exactly. through these answers. I'm ready. Let's do, let's do this. There's All no, right. there's no upside to it whatsoever. <laughs>
All well, right. in that case, I'm going to say whatever. Okay. All right. <laughs> Question number one, what are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Okay. I'm going to put something in that I haven't adapted to yet, but I think is one of the biggest changes we're going to face. Okay. Uh, no one is doing one thing at a time. We're doing three things at a time. If you have kids or grandkids, look at them. They're watching YouTube videos while playing on their switch while having the TV on, maybe sometimes doing two or three things at once. The church is going to have to figure out how to deal with this. We got two options. We can either say, put all your technology away and just focus in on one thing. And that is a way forward, but that's going to be almost impossible for some people. We may need to start thinking in terms of having multiple things happening at the same time during a church service, which just drives me crazy as yep. someone that wants everyone just to be listening to me. That means having people break out into discussions within those discussions, have some people look stuff up online while other people are taking notes, while other people are doing different things. I think we're going to have to consider how to have people feel more comfortable in that environment. Otherwise, the church is going to be the one place where they're just forced to be fully present with people. Now, I get that idea that that would be the goal, but there needs to be a way for people to transition into that goal where that is just a completely yeah. foreign environment for them. Every once in a while, like if I make a statement, you know, like, like uh, something recently where they found something archaeological that proves some obscure point of the Bible that had never been proven before. And as I say it, I say, Google it. Like, yeah. like now, while I'm talking about it, you can Google it. First of all, I want them to see that I'm not afraid of them, you know, uh, checking out that I my research is accurate. And secondly, it does give them that moment where they're actually engaging and going deeper in my point while, you know, while using their device. Because uh, I agree with you. I think obviously we, we are losing something by not being able to fully engage in one thing, but it is a reality we need to adapt to. So I think that's... Yeah. That's, that's great. Okay. Second question. What free resource like an app or a website or something has helped you lately that you'd recommend for small church ministry? Uh, I, because I'm a pastor, every question you give me, I'm going to modify it and say something different because <laughs> okay. I have to slightly change it. Here's one. These aren't free, but again, with technology, I think pastors often feel like they need way more money to do things that they can do with hardly any money. Uh, so I would encourage you, you want to do podcast or some sort of audio version do not buy all the switchboards and everything. There are really good mics that have USB connections and you can connect them right into your computer and you've cut out all that other technology. Uh, when it comes to cameras, there's really good logic tech cameras that you can plug right into your computer and have really good quality. If you're struggling with lighting, you can buy for $39 uh, lighting gears, little rings that you turn on and have that. What I've found is sometimes it feels so non-approachable that we don't even go into that or someone who loves tech gives us this huge list of things to buy. The other thing for pastors is pastors often don't contend for their own voice because they think it's pride. And so when I visit churches, I often find that the most neglected place is the place where it's about recording messages and sermons and videos and things for the pastor. It is okay for you to contend for technology that helps you with what you do best. That means it's okay to ask for people to fundraise so that you have a good laptop, that you have a good camera. If that's important to you, it's not selfish to say, I need that money to do this best in this crazy time we live in. So I'm advocating, yes, free stuff is great, but it's not selfish or self-centered for you to advocate for that technology because you know once you get that new laptop and you've been spending hours with the last one, it's causing all these problems, you will immediately turn it into ministry. It'll immediately turn into all sorts of things that you won't, you will not regret it. So just contend for it. That's a great point because because it wasn't that long ago when the, the jump from what I've got now to something of quality for video audio, the jump was so huge, huge. Yeah. that you had to be a large ministry or group to do it. And now the jump is much, much shorter. It's not insignificant, but it is far less than it used to be. And like you say, if you want to get into it, it's well worth it to increase the quality uh, significantly for a surprisingly small amount of money. Yeah. By the way, whenever a tech guy tells me about anything they want to upgrade, I always tell them to give me three things, the high end, the low end, and the middle, because then you can kind of figure out their own view of technology, because sometimes some people think they got to have the best of everything, yeah. and and it's just a nice way to be able to like, okay, we're going to go the low end or the mid end. All right, question number three, what's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? 
Um, my dad would tell me, don't ever say, here's the three things the Holy Spirit does, because the Holy Spirit might do four things. And that principle is huge. Like yeah. in anything as pastors, whenever we start saying, here's the five things you need to know about, there might be six, you might get to heaven and God will be like, uh, there were more than five. Uh, and along with that, I've kind of modified this as, uh, uh, I believe ministry, do it this way, have people reject the core of who you are. People are going to reject you anyway, so make ministry personal in the sense of the fullness of who you are in Christ. Make sure that it can express itself in your local church body, because they're going to reject you anyway, and it's so painful having people reject you for doing stuff you don't want to be doing and you don't do well. Let them reject you for what you love and who you really are. It'll hurt, but you'll still say, no, this is who I am. This is what I believe, so I would encourage you, uh, let people reject you for what you love. All right, love it. And the last one, what's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? Huh. Okay, here's just, I was guest speaking in Springfield, Missouri. I was going to seminary there, and it was way out in the country. And right before I was to speak, they said, we have all the candy from our candy uh, fundraiser. And they had Snicker bars, right? Snickers. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone in the church ordered a Snickers bar. And so they passed out all the Snickers bars, almost like communion, right? So everybody has one. And I was just going on a low carb diet at the time. And I stand up there to speak. And there's about 90 people, 90 people open up their candy bar with a crinkling wrapper and just start chewing down on a, like that as I begin to preach and it was just you know it was like get behind me Satan one like why can't I just take a break you know I guess they a Snickers break was part of their liturgy I guess but I, it was just to me I couldn't I just couldn't you know this crinkling chewing I knew no one cared about they talk about doing two things at once oh there are <laughs> so many so... levels of distraction in that that you're describing right there and as, then I'm as, just like as a pastor, what did, it just yeah. gives me my 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 heart skipping a beat over the thought wow, well that was huge. one of the weirdest there's been many other weird things but yeah. anyway, that was the one they also had a girl stand up and she came up to the front to give a special message and she just talked for maybe 10 minutes of going like i had no idea what she was saying and no one interrupted her. it was one of those where it was cute in their church right. <laughs> if you visited you'd be like i'm never going to this called again oh, it was so weird i i took my honorarium which, and went home <laughs> which to segue onto it now that we're doing our services online you really need to reduce the amount of those insider things that you do because yeah. even if there's a new person in the service that you can explain it to the people online, it's one level of further dis disconnect. From them. Yeah, it just they, doesn't work. They don't care. Yeah, at all. Well, yeah. Where, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you anymore online? And in, well, in addition, <clears throat> excuse me, to the book, you've also got a wonderful podcast and so on. Tell me about that. Well, you pray and the Lord will send you there. No, you can do. Uh, there's so many ways to avoid me. Uh, you go to fairlyspiritual.org postingpeace.com, dougbirsch.com, dougbirsch.org. Uh, and then on, on Twitter, my handle's fairly spiritual. Um, if, you, if you type posting peace in, my website will come up, fairlyspiritual.org. So you can find me through that. And yeah, my podcast is The Fairly Spiritual Show, and uh, you can listen to that as well. Oh, that reminds me of a question that I told uh, my, my, my producer, my daughter, Veronica, sitting here next to me, that I was going to ask you and almost forgot to ask you. You had a problem for a while on Amazon with your name. <laughs> and your name on the book is Douglas S. Birch. Yeah. What, and well, here, okay, here, Douglas this is hilarious. Because of what? <laughs> well, not, my first book I self-published. I didn't even send it to anyone. I just did it on my own. And self-published people are treated a little differently. Uh, mm -hmm. IVP, they treated them better. <laughs> but uh, so when you would type Doug Birch, you would get dog brushes like just a list of dog brushes and i'm selling my book on amazon they get revenue from it this is self-published at the time and you could not find my book you do doug birch and it was dog brushes just a, a series and so my kids actually uh, on one of my profiles like for netflix where you each have your own pro profile they have a picture of a dog and dog brush <laughs> And that's dad's profile. So talk about feeling respected. I, I wrote to them a series of emails back and forth of, yeah. you know, of, of, of just, I want to be, this talks about technology. I exist as a human. I am not a dog brush. So I talked about that online and people who followed me a bit 
whenever I'm getting a little uh, too big or too full of myself, that's they'll hilarious. respond back with nice, nice word, dog brush. So that's nice. what that's about. Well, the, the, the only problem I have is when people misspell my name or sometimes when they spell it correctly, Garl Vader's, they get Star Wars stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's way cooler than getting dog brushes. So yeah. your, your problem was much more difficult. Yeah. Than mine. Darth Vader, that's cool. <laughs> dog brush it's just so funny writing as i'm writing the email you know just explain but that's to, i literally had to prove that i existed to amazon like i exist and who in the world is typing in doug birch like accidentally turning dog brush into doug yeah. birch with a i but no and the guy argued with me well that's just what the algorithm is and i'm like i'm not an algorithm i am a human being that's so eventually they changed it awesome thanks doug appreciate it Thank you. So can you have a positive impact on social media? If you're in a small church, all oh, the wonderful answer today, of course, is yes. Thank you to Doug for all of the great stuff he brought out. Yes, you can have a positive impact on social media because it's not about technical brilliance. You don't have to buy a bunch of equipment. The big issue is, can you have a positive, reconciling and Christ-centered attitude as you're online? That's the key to it all. If you do so, it can be a great way to introduce people to you, your ministry, to your church, and most of all, to the gospel of Jesus. Finally, if you'd like to become a Patreon partner for as little as $3 a month and help put these resources into the hands of ministries that need it the most, check out our Patreon link in the show notes. This episode of Canvas Work in a Small Church was produced by Veronica Beaver, edited by Jack Wilkins. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins. And a transcript is available at the Pivot blog at christianitytoday.com slash All of that information and more can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Canvas Work in a Small Church.